Praise the Lord. If you'll open your Bibles with me, we've been in a series of messages now for five weeks called Awaken. And it's coming out of a deep, deep place in me. It's a, it's a, an awareness that God is sending an awakening to our generation. I, I text Dale Gentry this morning. He and I have been talking back and forth and I said, Brother Dale, I believe that God is awakening the people of God so there can be an incredible awakening in the earth to the purposes of God. I want to say something really, please, let, I pray today. Here's my prayer. I'm not going to be long, 25 minutes, 30 minutes. Here's my prayer today is that there may not ever be a message that I speak with more conviction than I speak today. I pray that it'll penetrate our hearts, bring hope, give us a reason to know why we're here. I am determined that America will be saved. I spent many days of my life in relationship with Reinhard Bonnke. And some of you can remember, he was so well known for standing up and declaring, Africa shall be saved. And I sat at a table with him one day and I said, Reinhardt, where did that come from? And he said, it came from me going to a Bible school where everybody told me I couldn't go to Africa. And then everybody else told me there was no reason to go to Africa because there was not really much that would be done there. And in 40 years, he lived long enough to see events and days, single days, where over a million people answered an altar call and signed a salvation card in one day. Because he said, in my heart, I burned with the reality, Africa shall be saved. God put a continent in his heart. And the impact of that continent lived and continues to live today after his death. It's easy in our generation to just put my house in my heart and to forget that actually the commission that we've been given as Christians is to disciple nations. The discipling of nations is the work of the church. In other words, no nation should ever be lost. That begins with ours. We can never assume that because America was founded by people that were looking for a privilege of worship, that it will automatically stay a nation where God abides. Because to disciple this nation is our prophetic mandate. I'm talking to you and I. It's not just the gate church, it's the church, big C. It's our prophetic mandate to disciple a nation. The Bible declares, to, this is the covenant God made with Abraham. He said, through your seed, he said singular seed, which was Christ. But when Paul writes that in the book of Galatians, he tells us that we now who are followers of Christ are his seed in the earth. Jesus never came in this building today till you did. I'm going to try that over here. Jesus didn't show up here today till you did. 
because Jesus lives in people. He doesn't live in buildings. He doesn't live in organizations. He lives in people. Jesus doesn't show up at your office till you do. He doesn't show up in America till the church does. He said to Abraham, through your seed, which is you and I, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I ask myself the question, are we blessing America? Or are we criticizing America? Can America really count on the church to redeem it? Or are we more interested in saying, it ain't my home anyway. I'm just passing through. Because here's what I realize. This verse deals with prayer, but it deals with much more than prayer. It deals with manifestation. In other words, something has to become visible for what was an invisible purpose to be realized. Do you know all through the New Testament, Jesus kept saying these words over and over. He would be among his disciples. He'd be among religious people and they would get confused to why certain things happen. And he would say these words, for this purpose came I into the world. They would say, why are you, why are you giving a prostitute a, a get out of jail free card? He said, for this reason I came. When Peter came and went to defend him and cut off the ear of the Roman soldier that tried to take him, Jesus said, Peter, stop, stop. If I was looking for defense, I could have called 10,000 legions of angels at my disposal. But for this purpose came I into the world. John said it this way, for this purpose, the son of God was manifest. In other words, Jesus did not start existing in Bethlehem. He existed long before Bethlehem. But what was invisible became visible. And John said the reason he became visible, he was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Could it be that the church is under an assignment to start manifesting? Maybe the world's confused because the church is no different than the world. Maybe people who are followers of Christ are just as afraid as people that are at the bar trying to cover it with a drink. Maybe people in the church are just as messed up in their marriage as the people at the Elks Lodge. Maybe people in the church have just as much legacy history of their children following Christ as people that don't even follow Christ at all. Maybe the challenge is for the church to manifest. Here's what I know. I know that we've been called first and foremost to a place of prayer. Second of all, to show forth. 
See, we read that verse in 1 Peter when he says, you're a chosen generation, a holy nation, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, a special people. But the rest of that verse is this, that you should show forth the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we put that only in a church sanctuary for the first 25 minutes called a worship service. And we believe the only time I show out is when you're singing my favorite song. But the truth of the matter is, it may be that when I work in an office complex with people who are bitter and angry and unjust and not being able to know how to live with people, I need to show forth the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Maybe my showing forth here is almost hypocritical because when I'm confronted with an opportunity to tell a racial joke, I don't show forth. See, what I know is this, if we've been called to intercede, and we have, you can never effectively pray for anybody you're angry at. I'm gonna try that one more time. You can never effectively pray for anybody you secretly disdain and you're angry with. And if you hate part of our nation, you can't pray for it. I don't care which part you hate. And if you hate officials, you can't legitimately pray for them. So the church ends up going back into being invisible. You want to know why I think it's so easy for government officials to sit in Capitol buildings and declare the church non-essential? Because we've never showed out. I'm not talking about protest. I'm talking about loving your neighbor. I'm talking about bringing answers to inner cities. I'm talking about helping to solve educational problems. I'm talking about learning how to stand up for the voiceless and the marginalized and the people that have been disenfranchised because the church has been just as willing to hide behind their gated communities and their neighborhoods as the world has been. And that's why the government says you're non-essential. You don't need to be meeting, but I am here today to declare there is an essential church that is about to rise up in this nation. It may only be a remnant but it will be a church that is set on fire by the Holy Ghost and begin to heal a nation Solomon got an answer from God he said God I want to keep favor on my house and on your house so how do I keep favor on it God answered him he said, Solomon, if you ever see a time that I hold up the rain so there's no rain from heaven. How many of you know they lived in an agrarian society? So that means their crops were not going to grow. You know what that means? That means that they couldn't buy or sell. They couldn't trade or barter. That means that their economy was upside down. He said, if you ever see a time in your life when your economy goes haywire or when I send swarming locusts in other words, armies that seem to have come from nowhere that now want to invade your peace. Or he says, you listen and you hear of pestilence and plagues that are showing up in your land. Then here's your answer. If my people. No, no, I'm not, I'm not, 
I'm not trying to get the Senate to repent. I'm just trying to get the church to repent. I, I don't really care what the mayor does. What I'm caring about is what does the church do? If my people, which are called under the authority of my name, humble themselves and pray, seek my face. We've covered all of those. Here's where I'm at today. And turn. Turn from. There. Oh, no, 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 no. You mean, you mean we need to get, we need to get those whoremongers right. No, 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 no. He's not, he's not talking about the drug pushers. He's not talking about the prostitutes. He's not talking about, he's not talking about all the people that are swindling the government out of money. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, I want my people to deal with their issues. Turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I'll hear their land. So I was looking at this and I'm almost going to be done here in just a minute. I was thinking about this. There's three words. My wife's not able to be here today. My wife, please pray for her. She's in a lot of pain. Kathy be having surgery this week. But there's three words that my wife loves when we pull up in front of a store. And it's when they put big banners outside saying, everything must go. If I got any witnesses in the building anywhere, everything must go and I pull up there and just sit in the truck because what I realize is something's about to leave the premise it's probably going to my house I want to sometimes look at my garage and say everything must go but how many of you know oftentimes when a store puts a sign up that everything's got to go it's because it's at the end of a season and new inventory is arriving could it be for you and I today that God is shaking our cage a little bit and God's pressing on some things that have never been pressed on before because he's saying to you, everything's got to go. If you don't get rid of that, I can't deliver the new inventory I have for you and make sure you receive everything I'm about to download into your life. A company knows this. If I don't move the things off my shelf that are no longer profitable and no longer beneficial, then I can't make room for the things that are of great value. I came to tell somebody today, God's about to move your insecurities off your shelf because he's about to make room for some confidence and some boldness. Bitterness has got to go in order to make room for some joy. Misery has got to leave and be exported so you can make room for some happiness doubts are about to go so faith can arise internal frustration has got to go because new inventory is on the way so I believe there are people listening to me today you're not just frustrated in life you're frustrated with life You're smiling, you're showing up, but you live with this. I never thought I'd be single again. There's somebody watching me right now. It's been the story of your life the last couple of years. I never thought I'd be single again. I don't like it. 
Maybe you've been saying things like this. I never thought I'd be unemployed. Not with my credentials. Or maybe I've never thought I'd be this confused about life. And internal frustration begins to build. But I want to say to somebody, in the next 10 minutes, it's time to bust a move. For those of you that don't know what that means, that means it's time for you to get some things moving that have not moved in a long time. Because see, what happens is, oftentimes, we would rather project onto others what's really a reality in our own life. See, the truth of the matter is, yes, our nation needs healed. Yes, our city needs healed. Yes, our families need healed. But it's really my heart that's broken. And healing can't begin until it begins in me. I learned a long time ago, on every row, in every building, in every home, there's somebody with a broken heart. Somebody whose life is out of control. Somebody trusting the wrong people and the wrong sources. I believe God's raising up a generation of people who'll say, you know what? I'm going to be distinct. I'm going to live my life differently. I'm going to make people wonder, what am I all about? Listen, here's the principle. Everything must go so that what's in you All the things that are contrary to God's ways have to go so that everything in you can grow. See, one reason the the Gate Church exists is we don't exist just to have church services. How many of you know all of us could do a lot more things with our Sunday mornings? But here's what I know. This house exists. One of the reasons is so people can know God And we can educate people on what that God's like. Because if you don't have proper information, you'll believe a lie and your life will become twisted. So it's our responsibility to tell proper information so that you can experience a transformation. Because we're interested in changed lives. If God's going to keep his favor on the temple, he said, I want you to turn. Everybody shout turn. Turn, turn from your wicked ways. Now, let me suggest to you that when he says wicked, it's not everything you think. And it may be some things you don't think. Because he's not so much speaking to the culture as he's speaking to the covenanted people. He's not saying, I wish Hollywood would get saved. He's saying, I wish my people would get saved. And he says, I want you to turn from wicked ways. That word ways there literally means a pattern of life or course of life. He's not talking about people that stumble and fail. Not people that have a a bad day or temporary stumbling and, and failure. God's not saying that. What messed our lives up is not that occasionally I slipped. What messed my life up is when I chose a path that was contrary to his ways. Because that path kept leading me further and further and further down the road. You say, well, Bishop, you you act like, no, listen, if you don't think sin is fun, you've never sinned with the right people. I 
I ain't got no help. I got church people over there. If, if, you ain't, if you don't believe sin's fun, you've never been to the right places and you've never sinned with the right people. But here's the issue. The issue is the Bible talks about the wages of sin. In other words, the end of the course. It's not what it's like when I start. It's what it's like when I finish. And there are some ways that I've chosen my life that I may be raising my hands, I may be singing songs, but I've made internal covenants with ways that are contrary to the ways of God. And they continually bring me into a place that life can't work in me. Death continues to work. And he said, if I'm going to heal the environment, you're going to have to deal with your wicked ways. And his instruction is turn from them. Turn from them. That's all through the Bible. It's not, it's not just for Solomon. It's all through the Bible. In Joshua chapter 3, verse number 5, when Joshua was about to take the people of God into the promised land, they were about to go inherit the promise. Everybody ready to go get the promise? I got like five people. Anybody in the room ready to go get your promise? So here's what he said. You want to go get your promise? Here's his commandment. The last thing God commanded Joshua before they started Chapter 3, verse number 5. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow I'll do wonders among you. One translation says sanctify. Another translation says separate yourselves, and tomorrow I'll do wonders. Wow. John, John in John 17 records Jesus' prayer. The Lord's prayer, the one that we call the Lord's prayer, is really the disciples' prayer. When he said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy names, that was Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. But the Lord himself prayed in John 17. And when Jesus prayed, here's what Jesus prayed. Hold on to your seats because you're not going to see this on all the Christian television channels. Jesus said, Father, I pray that you don't take them out of the world. I'll fly away, oh glory God. He said, I pray, Father, that you don't take them out of the world. Because the moment you remove my people, my seed from the earth, there'll be no witness for who you are. There'll be no demonstration of what your kingdom is like. So I pray, don't take them out of Oklahoma City. Don't take them out of office buildings. Don't take them out of the public school system. Don't take them out of the government. Don't take them out of the world. But I pray this, you guard their hearts from the world so they act differently. So that they be distinct. So here's what I came to tell somebody today. Elevation requires separation. We sang it today. You want to go higher? Then you got to be willing to let God separate you. Sometimes we think it's the devil messing with our life. But it, I want to suggest to you today, it's really God trying to take you higher. Some of the things you're uncomfortable about right now is not the devil. It's God trying to reveal a faulty foundation. Because see, most of us come in prayer, prayer. Jesus, I invite you into my heart and into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Come be my, whoa, we make this, this crazy word right here we want to forget. Come be my Lord and be my Savior. See, I want a Savior. I just don't want a Lord. 
But nowhere throughout the Roman Empire nor throughout all of history did the Word of God command us to say, Jesus is Savior. The statement that upsets the whole world is when we say, Jesus is Lord. Because see, I'm going to talk about Tony. I'm not going to talk about anybody else. I'm going to, I'm going to testify for myself. I prefer God to tweak my life, not transform it. Lord, I present myself for a little tweaking. I'm a pretty cool dude. Just clean that up a little bit. I ain't got no help. There's nobody in the building ever. How many of you know Jesus didn't come to tweak your life? He came to consume it. Transform it. Change it. So let me tell you a couple of things real quickly he separates you from. First of all, yes, all the big sins. We can talk about all the big ones. You know the big ones. I don't have to talk about those. He separates you from wrong people. See, there were some people that were not profitable for your life, and you need to quit trying to reconnect with them. Because your elevation is being held up because of your unwillingness to have a separation. Because what you don't understand is what God has in store for you. And if you keep hanging out with the wrong people, how many times have you ever heard somebody say this when they got in trouble? You ask them, how did you get there? Well, I had these friends. I mean, the Bible is either right or wrong, but the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that bad company corrupts good morals. In other words, hanging with the wrong people and letting them be a greater influence in your life than Jesus is never going to be profitable for you. That's one of those everything must go deals. Get it off my shelf. And you know what? I've had people leave my life that I thought were great people. And God removed them from my life. I didn't have to be mad. I didn't have to be mean. I don't have an attitude. I don't hate them. When I see them, I love them. It's just that I recognize that our level of relationship went to a different level. I had a, I had a guy that when we when Kathy and I started in the ministry, I talked to him every Sunday night. Every single Sunday night. He was miserable and I was miserable. We got on the phone every Sunday night and talked about our misery. It was so comforting. I'd talk about how bad the church was that I was leading. He'd talk about how bad the church was he's leading. And then we'd sign up again on Monday and go lead it again. We would, we would talk about people that were being promoted. Dave, if God knew about them what we knew about them, he would never promote them like that. Then all of a sudden, God began to press on me. And I came to an altar and God began to deal with my heart and he began to say to me, I can't elevate you to where I want you to go as long as you've got that attitude right there. And, I'm, and he began to deal with my attitude. And so then when we started having calls, I started saying, you know what? I believe God's able. God began to bless our church. People began to get saved. We began to have chairs sitting down the aisles because we couldn't get everybody in the pew. We bought property, began to build a building. Next thing I know, the calls weren't every Sunday night. Next thing, the calls were every other Sunday night. Then they were once a month. Then I couldn't figure out why I hadn't heard. Couldn't get a call back. And one day God said to me, he said, if I hadn't separated you from him, I can't take you to where I want you to go. Because you're more loyal to your relationship than you are to me. 
See, there's some people that continue to date people they know are bad for them, but they're so afraid of being alone that they don't believe God can ever lift them up to another place. I went to a prayer, my prayer room one day and I prayed and God said, this is a moment of separation. And I recognize that. I've seen him three times in the last 25 years, 30 years, three times. I've, I've hugged his neck. I've shook hands with him. But that day I went out of my prayer closet. I went to the phone. I called a florist. I sent a hundred dollar bouquet of flowers to him and his wife. And I said, put on the card. I love you. And I'll see you in heaven because we're done. You say, Bishop, I can't believe you did that. Listen to me. Till this day, every time I see him 30 years later, he's still negative. He's still unbelieving. He's still as critical of everybody else. He still wants to pick on everything going on in the world. And I recognize I'd have been sitting in those same seats if I had not let God separate me from wrong people. I ain't got no help, but I'm going to preach. I'm almost finished. See, the Bible says in Genesis 45, verse number seven about Joseph. Here's what it said. He said, I had to separate you from your brothers in order to preserve a posterity and to save your life. In other words, if Joseph would have kept crying to be reunited with his brothers, he'd have never been able to save his brothers when they needed him. See, I'm telling you, some of the people that God is separating you from, it's so you can go back to them and be a source of salvation to help deliver them from the prison they're living in because you were willing to let God separate you. I'm not talking about being arrogant and self-righteous and all kinds of attitudes. I'm talking about with humility, recognizing my life is led by the Lord of glory. Jesus is Lord of my life. Moses had to be separated from his family. David had to be separated from his brothers. Paul had to be separated from the Jews. Don't think you won't have to be separated from some of the people that you are constantly craving their affection. I mean, you know, we also, he separates us from envy. Hmm. I mean, you know, that's the sin we rarely admit, but we all struggle with. It's the thing that to admit it, I have to acknowledge I'm competing and comparing with other people. Why don't I have the open doors they have? Why didn't God bless me like he's blessed them? I give. Why does it seem my business is not as successful as theirs? And then we start adding all kinds of other stuff to it. Well, they probably cheat. They do underhanded work. See, I don't know. I don't know how it works in other industries. But in the vocation that God called me to, worship leaders, preachers, it's rampant. Because listen, the word envy comes from the same Greek word as the word zeal. It's the same word. Some places it's translated zeal, other places it's translated envy. Because envy always masquerades as a noble motivation. You can tell the people that are sucking up because they're trying to go up. 
And you can always tell the crew that stands in the corner and criticizes people that are successful because they are envious that they're not where they were. I want to look at people that talk about all kinds of people. I mean, I hear people talk about everybody. People talk about Brother Jakes. People talk about Ben Hinn. People talk about people talk about political people. They talk about, and I'm thinking, if you sat in their seat, you'd be going, Whoop. what a happy day this is to me. Truth of the matter is, you're just envious. In fact, God calls it a bitter root. And guess who its roommate is? Strife. The Bible says where envy and strife exist, there is confusion and every evil work. Do you know what happens in a family that starts envying their neighbors, trying to keep up with the Joneses? It's an open door for demonic spirits to come and invade your household. When you don't live content with who God made you to be, but you're always envying somebody else's pathway. I don't have any shouts in the building anywhere, but I know I'm talking about a wicked way that continues to keep us from being healed. He said, when it exists, there is confusion. How many marriages have spouses envied each other because one began to be promoted and the other one had a turn back and now I'm mad and I got confusion in my house and I start playing all kind of silly power trips. Finally, come on, Joey. He said, I got to separate you from stinking thinking. He said, well, it doesn't matter how I think. No, listen to me. The Bible says the carnal mind is enmity against God that means it's hostile it's in opposition it's at war do you realize that negativity is at war with God when you constantly walk around somebody comes up with a great idea and you go well, I don't know I, I, that ain't gonna work well how do you know well five times before it failed well this might be the time it works Thomas Edison when he invented the light bulb he failed a thousand times he said, I didn't learn a thousand things that were wrong. I learned a thousand things that wouldn't work. See, I believe God wants to break you free from negativity. You can't live in this world and be a healing agent and be negative about our world. How do you be positive in the midst of an environment where everybody's being negative? I can't live my life expecting the worst. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Bishop, it's getting worse and worse out there. Millions of people are dying. No, millions of people are not dying. First of all, that's not true. Second of all, go check the death rates for the last 10 years from, from January to June, and you'll find out that from January to June in 2020, we're within 1% of every previous year before this. And we're in the middle of a pandemic. What does that mean? That means this, you got to live your life believing something good's coming my way. 
I may have had a bad day yesterday, but something good's coming my way tomorrow. When I get up in the morning, surely goodness and mercy are going to be standing at the bed of my, where I'm sleeping, and they're going to meet me tomorrow. Something good is coming my way. Remember when Peter told Jesus, I'll never deny you. You can count on me. I am your boy. You can count on me. Jesus said to him, Peter, I see something in you you don't see in yourself. And the problem is what's in you is giving you a faulty foundation. And if I don't deal with it and let it be dealt with, my assignment for you in your future, you'll never be able to do. So here's what I'm saying to you, Peter. Everything must go. I'm going to let you be sifted like wheat. Oh, Jesus, you can count on me. And all of a sudden, he's sitting at a fire, and a little girl says to him, you're one of those. You got that mark of distinction on you. No, I never knew him. The Bible says of several minutes later, another group said, you were with Jesus. And this time he curses and swears. Says, I don't know him. And finally, the last girl comes to him and says, you are one of them because your speech betrays you. Something about your life, even though it doesn't look in alignment, with who you say you are, there's something still coming out of you that makes me know you were with him. See, I want to tell you, there's some people here today, you may be out of alignment, but there's something in you that's still speaking. And the Bible says when he said that, all of a sudden, the rooster crowed. Peter went out and wept bitterly. The Bible says he wept bitterly. Why did he weep? Because for the first time, for the first time, he realized there was something in him that he didn't know was in him. He was ready to take on the Roman army three hours ago. But when he really got pressed on, he found out there was a wicked way in him. Listen, loved ones, I ask him to put this on the screen. When we allow God to deal with what is in us, we make room for what is on us to mature and to reach its fullest potential. And it will flow through us to help the world we've been called to, to help it heal. For those of you today, you feel broken, wickedness has sidetracked your life, I got good news for you today. God's not coming. Just like he did to Peter. He didn't come and say, Peter, you sorry sucker. I knew I couldn't count on you. When Jesus rose from the dead, when he rose from the dead, Peter never got a chance to talk to him another moment. The last thing as far as Peter knew that Jesus ever heard him say was, I don't know. Bible says that while Jesus was on his way to the cross, he took his eyes and looked at Peter. And Peter wept and wept. As far as Peter knew, he was, he was finished. But 
Bible says when Jesus rose from the dead, he said to the ladies, go tell Peter and the others that I'm alive. And I'm going to meet him down here and I'm going to feed him in a moment. And I'm going to look at him and tell him, I got a purpose beyond your failure. I got something beyond that. I only let that happen so that you'd quit living arrogant and self-righteous and biased and thinking that you could rule by your own power. I let you be pressed on till you found out there's nothing in you that is capable of doing what I've purposed you for. But if you'll humble yourself and let me adjust your wicked ways, I'll use you, Peter, to be my preacher on Pentecost. Come on, everybody stand. God will reach through the fragmentation of your life I'm talking to somebody here today. God is going to come to the ruins and give you a firm foundation. 